0: for a continuation of this session with a question and answer. But before doing that, I forgot to thank two parties. One is, it was great food. Thank you, great plate catering. Who are they? And secondly, person who arranged all this Inviting Joe to come from Ottawa was Annalise. Let us thank her. Good idea. Thirdly, next session, next week, will be uh, Honorable Shannon Phillips. You know who she is. Uh, She's going to speak to us. Uh, I don't know what it's about, but anyway, we like her. Uh, Question and answer. I am known for being uh, quite brutal about this. This is a question and answer, not the soapbox to stand up and (laughs) give your views. So please remember that. Uh, Mention your name and give one question. If you have two, eh. I'll let you do it. Come to the microphone and mention your name first and give one question. Thank you. Joe.
1: Hi, my name is Henning Mundel. Sorry, did I hear you right, uh, Tad? You said if you asked to, I'll let you. Okay. Um, <laughs> So my, uh, I actually have uh, two little ones to uh, relate to, and one <laughs> is um, the timing. While you did mention sort of involvement at the time of the Hungarian Revolution and the, and the uh, uh, Czech um, Revolution, and uh, being a product in Canada, through the involvement of the churches coming in 1951, having been a refugee in Germany as a German, ethnic German, but from outside of Germany, coming to Canada, funded, advanced, we paid back, Canadian Lutheran World Relief, but uh, in 51, I know there were other churches involved that brought groups from other places. I wonder if you can sort of comment about that earlier post-war period. And the second is, um, we came to Lethbridge in 78, having lived and worked in several countries, and I'm not going to go into that, Sad, don't worry. <laughs> <coughs> but we were part of a charter group uh, called uh, World Citizen Center in Lesbridge in 78. Uh, and we were a uh, non-religious group, a secular group, working on social justice for about 20 years. I just wonder if you can make some comment on the interrelationships between some of the church groups. By the way, I was a future uh, chairman of the 10 Days for World Development locally, Here was one of my predecessors right here. Anyway, uh, just if you don't mind, sort of those two things about the churches earlier and then interactions with some of the secular social justice groups. Great. Thank you so much for those questions. You're absolutely right. There's no
2: end of history of all uh, faith traditions in working with uh, the poor and working with newcomers and so on. There's, There's a long history of that. What I, what I thought was most useful for us to do in the book, and what I kind of focused on, is when we started working ecumenically. And so that ecumenically means Christians with Christians. There is actually, you might enjoy as uh, your Lutheran background, one of the chapters in the book is a theological reflection for people interested in that. And it's written by David Frimmer, who is the uh, Principal Dean at the Lutheran Seminary in Kitchen, Waterloo. And he talks about the need for us to move beyond in future And actually, he talks about the need for public multi-faithism, that we set up these different groups. So, you mentioned 10 days for world development, uh, which started in the 70s, again. Really before the Second Vatican Council, the Catholics didn't really reach out until... So there was an ecumenical movement that took place around the world, really in the 60s. And in Canada, it was manifested in social justice work in the 70s, when we set up all these various coalitions that that I mentioned. So that's the time, it's not that that work wasn't done in the 50s or 60s or even before. There were uh, people that, several churches brought over people from Europe after the Second World War, and that was done as individual churches doing that, and frankly, they were bringing over people that were usually related to their faith organization, their group. The ecumenical movement and the, uh, into the social justice movement is a little bit different in that sense. Now, you d- did mention the question of the World Citizen Center and so on. Those were organizations that were set up around the country. Uh, I can remember being in Regina and working with the Regina Committee for World Development. There was One Sky in Saskatoon. We did a number of those kinds of things. And really, that's where you get, uh, that's where you get good cross-fertilization, is working with people that are, you know, to make real social change, you want to do outreach to groups that are, uh, that are far beyond that. So, for example, I could use another example where I work at Citizens for Public Justice right now. We worked for over 10 years on a campaign called Dignity for All. And we do a big event on October 17th, the International Day for the Eradication of Poverty. We've had 100 groups around the country working on this kind of stuff. Anti-poverty groups, churches, a whole range of people. And it's taken 10 years, but now there's legislation before the House in Ottawa for Canada's first ever poverty reduction plan, It's gone to second reading in the House. But it's taken a long, long time, and it's taken people that are in the secular world, the housing world, child poverty world, uh, all kinds of different struggles that people are involved in, uh, working together. So that's where we need to go in the future.
3: Uh, Maria Fitzpatrick, the MLA for Lethbridge East. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you very much for your uh, insightful presentation. And what you did for me was, uh, you did spur a question. And my question is, uh, how do you make Canada and Alberta a better place? And I ask this because uh, what I have learned in the last four years in the Alberta legislature is that uh, when bills are moving forward, bills that certainly I believe are going to make things better in Alberta, when you have people across the floor that it doesn't matter what the bill is, they're in opposition, and uh, I know earlier you had talked about uh, kind of the division. And I grew up in Newfoundland, St. John, so the division was the Conservatives and the Liberals, and uh, it was very much faith-based. Yeah. And in fact, you heard it from the pulpit on Sunday morning, and it brought me. It probably brought me, or was one of the factors that brought me into. Uh, public life because I challenged everything that was said and I felt very oppressed uh, by what went on in Newfoundland. So how do you how do you make it better? Now it's fine while you have a majority government but how do you that's four years when a lot more could have been done had there not been opposition to things that were really good for Alberta.
2: Thank you, uh, Maria, for your, uh, not only your question, but for uh, your work as a representative of your community. That's, uh, that's an important thing, uh, often a thankless task, but thank you for your question. Um, when I moved to Ottawa, I met, uh, I worked for the Catholic bishops, so you'll have to forgive me. But uh, when I worked for the bishops, a bishop from uh, Quebec told me about how it was in Quebec back in the, the years of the Duplessis regime, and he said the, uh, at the pulpit on the Sunday before Election Day, the priest would say, no matter what the readings were, le ciel est bleu, l'enfer est rouge. The, s- the heavens are blue. Hell is red. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would vote for the red party. So partisanship, partisanship can really get in the way. Can really get in the way of trying to make uh, social change move forward. Now, people that are so partisan that you, uh, you know, a good idea coming from one side of the floor and not being accepted by the other, uh, difficult. I don't know what we do, but as a charity where I, uh, and uh, churches are charity of course, as is Citizens for Public Justice where I work. I mean, we were, we were audited by the last uh, group of, in federal uh, politics. We were audited then. We passed the audit. Uh, but there were, some, there were some issues that we really felt were kind of silly. It was a political audit, our, and our poverty work. So what we did on the website of the Dignity for All campaign, which we helped sponsor, was. We put up the names of every single MP that supported the call for a poverty reduction plan in Canada. And we were told by Canada Revenue that that was partisan and could not be done. Well, we disagreed. Their problem was there were two members of one particular party that had signed on. There were many from other parties in the House. I think that's public education and just saying everybody was invited more than once to join. So we go back and forth around levels of partisanship and what you can and can't do. Every charity in the country must speak to, if you're doing advocacy work, you can't hold a public meeting and just invite one MP from one party. You have to invite everyone. Some of them decide not to come. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but that partisanship is, uh, and, and perhaps, I don't think our, I don't think our churches are well served by being partisan. I don't think uh, people today expect to be told from their pastors how to vote. I think what churches uh, do really well, because you know people don't get together to have these kinds of conversations very often. There was this famous book written a decade ago in the States by a fellow called Robert Putnam, and he called it Bowling Alone. People don't get together in bowling clubs or social groups anymore. Some people still get together in churches, but if churches are places where people have conversations, safe conversations, with difficult discussions of moral issues and try and clarify our values and where we should be coming from, this is all to the, this is all to the good. What's not helpful is a sermon that might tell us the red and the blue and all of that. Uh, but those are tricky questions, uh, and there's much more to be said there. Um,
4: <clears throat> Terry Shellington. Thank you very much for your presentation and, uh, and the uh, stories. You remind me that there are heroes and saints uh, all around us, and I, I was privileged to be at university at the same time as John Foster. Oh. And um, Anyway, my, I, I'd like to uh, observe something and invite you to comment on it. Okay. Um, I, I cut my teeth on some of these issues in the 70s with both people, oh, yeah. and we raised incredible money. And I don't recall any particular opposition uh, to the idea of bringing in uh, refugees from a communist uh, uh, part of the world. Uh, and uh, I observe around the uh, the refugees from uh, Arab countries uh, a growing tide of distrust with refugees and and strangers. And and I know there's some Islamic um, <laughs> radical voices that I don't recall hearing from uh, both people, but but. Uh, uh, are we are we losing some of our um, uh, welcome for the stranger and the refugee and um, and um, may you have some thoughts about that what we need to do about that?
2: Thank you very much. Uh, I remember some opposition those days from both people and from the Chileans uh, that was what was so fascinating about uh, about politics you know that the 50s and the Hungarians, and the 60s and the Czechs, people were fleeing uh, left wing regimes, the Soviets coming over. The Chilean thing was a little bit different. Here was a, a left wing government that was overthrown, uh, dictatorship uh, taking over. So it was, a, it was a bit of a different thing. So there, there was opposition in, uh, certainly in the civil service, certainly from Mr. Ross, the ambassador. Uh, and maybe in Canadian political opinion then, because we had this thing called the Cold War, didn't we? Uh, but your question is really about today. Are we becoming, in Canada, a little less open? Are we becoming uh, a little more fearful? I think a lot of the, the kind of the, the talk we hear now about uh, irregular crossings of people coming to Canada Are that is to say, uh, people that are coming across either in Morden there across the border, or in uh, southern Quebec there, people are worried that somehow things are getting out of hand. Uh, We have tens of thousands. I think the backlog is up to fifty thousand, which is a problem. So those people have to be as soon as Canada signs the convention, which we took until the late fifties to sign. on on refugees, people have the right to come and have their case heard, but then we went ahead and we passed something called the Safe Third Country Agreement with the United States, which means that those people come in not through a regular port of injury, because they can't. As soon as they would come and do that, they get sent back, because the United States is the first country they've been in, and it's considered safe. Some people are questioning that. Who are the people that are questioning it? That are saying the United States isn't so safe right now and that everybody deserves, according to the convention, the right to hear your case as an individual, not your, your case shouldn't be affected by where you first tread. The Canadian Council of Churches, Amnesty International, and the Canadian Council for Refugees. They're taking up an, a court case against the safe third country agreement. So these are, these are issues where Canadians have a right to debate. What is a good immigration system? How can we support refugees? The the numbers for refugees coming into Canada, there's some issues that we should look at there. there the government-sponsored refugee number is quite small. The numbers that the government would like to have privately sponsored is about three times larger, and most of the faith communities are saying we could even take more. There's another issue around refugee loans. We were describing that at, at our uh, eating. Uh, People come to Canada as refugees and they pay for the transport uh, of their their air travel, and if they have a large family it could be up to $10,000. Stats Canada tells us 34% of people who are newcomers to Canada, and newcomers are defined as people who are here 10 years or less, 34% of those folks are living in poverty. Well, why do we add on top of that to refugees, people who've left usually with nothing, $10,000 $10,000 of, of a debt, a loan they pay back. We were able to push the government. Now the government decided in uh, the budget last year that people won't be charged interest on that part of the loan that they haven't paid. But we would, you know, four of, the, of, our, of our church partners and ourselves have been signing these petitions to try and end that. So these are issues where we, you know, you have to kind of open the door to get people to, uh, to understand the plight. There are 68 million people around the globe that have fled their homes. The numbers that are coming to Canada are minimal. The possibilities for Canada to respond, I think, uh, not only is our potential great, but the hearts of Canadians are huge. We just have to create the interest so that people hear that and want to be a, a little more open to it. And that's in no way saying that we should be soft on people that are crossing uh, or, or being led by uh, terrible kinds of coyotes that rip them off and all this kind of thing. No, we, do, we need to have those policies well in place. I think the Canadian heart is there. I think we have to work on the... Uh, and here's another example, and then I'll be quiet. The many, many, many congregations are involved in sponsoring and settling refugees. Many, many, many f- fewer are involved in actually trying to change the policy to make the next group of refugees, no matter where they come from, uh, to make that whole process a little bit better. That's what CPJ is trying to do, and hopefully we can learn to do uh, both those things.
5: Douglas Mitchell. Uh, I belong to a Splinter group. I'm an ecumenical Presbyterian, small numbers. (laughs) I've, I'm, I've been involved quite a bit with the National Church, our National Church, and also our Justice uh, people, and have uh, spent quite a bit of time here in Lethbridge, working for 10 days originally and then okay. Kairos laterally. Yes. And I would like to ask you about the whole ecumenical uh, setup. It seems to me that we, and uh, Kairos may be an example of that, and I think maybe you can enlighten me a little bit on where is Kairos going now. As you say, it's an amalgamation of these uh, 13 coalitions, as I remember, and uh, I was involved with one of them, the 10 Days Group, uh, which was fi- really focused on uh, international development generally. And when the the amalgamation occurred, we were then all under one umbrella, I think for financial reasons or economical reasons primarily. And I wonder if you could comment on where are we going uh, ecumenically, Uh, the the various denominations. We all have our little uh, prejudices, if I can use that word, maybe not the right word, Uh, but I'd just like you to comment on where do you think the ecumenical movement is going and how it could possibly
2: relate to outside agencies? Very good. Now may I ask if you know uh, Stephen Allen? Yeah. yeah, I figured you would. You were okay, so Stephen Allen's a friend of mine whom pres- he works at the Presbyterian Church. He just retired. And uh, I think he's wonderfully, and I say this to his face, he's wonderfully ecumenically, promiscuous, <laughs> because this guy was born a Catholic, raised, I met his mother, she was quite a traditional Catholic, he married a Mennonite, their wedding was done by a Lutheran pastor, uh, and he uh, worked for the Presbyterian, worked until he retired this last year, for the Presbyterian Church, but he is a member of an Anglican uh, congregation, so I give him a rough time all the time. But this is, this is the future. Uh, that, you know, maybe didn't exist back in the the 50s, really since the 60s, people working together in in many, many ways, and uh, uh, I don't want to talk... For those that... the, The structure of ecumenical social justice work in Canada, really from the 70s to the year 2000, was different coalitions working on certain issues, and there were about 12 of them, okay? Uh, as I mentioned, one that worked on human rights in Latin America, one that worked on corporate responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. There were 12. And what happened with churches funded them, whichever which, whatever priority they had? In 2001, after all the experience of working together around the debt campaign of uh, canceling the debts of, of poorer countries in the global South, we created something called Kairos. So Kairos became an organization of the major churches, uh, and it continues to exist today. It's got a a staff of close to 30 now. Uh, Financially, it's doing very well. A lot of Catholic religious organizations, sisters and so on, have have funded them quite handsomely, Uh, and they have just done amazing work, with something called the Blanket Exercise, which some of some of you may know of. It's a, a way to look at Aboriginal history and so on. My wife was actually involved in in helping do that. She's a popular educator uh, 20 years ago, and it's become a much more useful tool. And so it, even in Alberta, I understand the Alberta government has contracted with Kairos to use the Blanket Exercise in a whole bunch of places in, in Alberta. So that this is why the staff has grown bigger. And Kairos works a lot on uh, original reconciliation, migrant rights, uh, ecology, a whole range of issues. Now, where's the ecumenical uh, work at for social justice in Canada? We're in bad shape. Not because of Kairos, not because of Citizens for Public Justice. The churches themselves have continually cut back on funding in the church offices that deal with Uh, that deal with social justice. In your own church, the Presbyterian Church, when this fellow that I mentioned who's ecumenically promiscuous resigned, retired, they're only now trying to find a a successor for him. So it's been a year uh, where they've been unable to do that. The moderator, the new moderator is a wonderful guy and he's coming to our office next week when I'm back uh, and we'll have these great conversations. The leadership is willing, the churches are are getting smaller and the social justice staff is smaller. Uh, and also, I think a huge problem is the Catholic leadership in this country. hate to say it. Are there any media here uh, anymore? The Catholic bishops pulled out of Kairos. And this is, this is a negation of all of the work that was done for 40 previous years. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame. Uh, honestly, I feel that they... Uh, now, I worked for them when, when I was the founding vice-president of Kairos, In 2001, we signed a memorandum of agreement, but we were all working together. There are still Catholics involved in Kairos because groups of religious brothers and sisters and priests are there, and the development agency of the Catholic Church is there, but the bishops, the leadership of the church has withdrawn. And to me, that's catastrophic. It is a historical error and mistake and it's something we will have to build new ways to work forward together uh, in the future. So that's, that's the kind of the bad news. There's great work going on still at Cairo, just the same though, and that's we do. You go where the energy is, you work where the energy is, and uh, do the best we can.
0: Um, may I add just one thing? Sorry, Mary. Yeah. Uh, Joe, sure, it sounds very pessimistic, but one bright spot, if you live in Alberta, is here, Christian Reformed Church is known as fundamentalist conservative denomination, denomination. But if you go to Kairos, Christian Reformed Church is a member. And uh, Peter Nopum, you show the picture of, he's from Christian Reformed Church. So there are some bright spots. Even the conservative church like Christian Reformed Church do have people like Peter Nopu. Sorry, Mary.
6: Uh, Mary Shillington. Um, I'm uh, a member at McKillop United. And uh, we have a very active Justice, Peace, and Social Action Committee. And a couple of former members are here today. Uh, and I've also been involved with the Ecumenical Campus Ministry. And we have our chaplain here. Stand up, Aaron, and wave your arm. Ah! And and she's an ecumenical campus ministry, so she serves our our university and college. And I was just asking her about the joint dinner that served at Christmas time, and it served at Easter time and Christmas time for the students at the college. And uh, and that's an example of churches working together, ecumenical churches working together to provide us a place for students, when they're uh, end of term and don't have much money or none, and uh, all kinds of needs and so on, so I'm wondering if those kind of things—if you've heard those kind of stories from other places where, uh, you know, communities band together to do special things like that for the students, and many of them live in poverty, of course, and there're lots of uh, students from other countries that are new to Canada, so. W- What's your experience? Have there that has that happened in other places?
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for that, uh, and Todd, for your uh, intervention. I think it's absolutely uh, true that people at the local level are leading the churches in what should be done. We, I mean, if there was a time when uh, you know uh, folks from one tradition would walk on one side of the street and folks from another tradition would walk down the other side of the street, it's it's past. We have to get over that if we haven't already. And so what you find locally is people are getting together with neighbours and people that find a common cause, and whether it's working with uh, students. I mean, you mentioned the Christian Reform people. Where I live and the church that I go to, a Catholic church in Ottawa, and guess what? An office and a ministry there is the Christian Reform Church campus ministry, right in the same place, and they meet there, and I've given a couple of talks with them, and... Uh, There's a Catholic uh, group of students, too, and they meet together, and and this goes on all the time, all over. Our leadership, not all of it, a lot of it is, uh, a lot of our leadership has had great experience in being ecumenical for a long time, but a lot of our leadership, a lot of my leadership might need adult supervision. They might. We can still be pretty. We can still be pretty tribal, and uh, any effort to overcome that, I think, is only uh, to the good because it is obviously the way of the future.
0: We're second time, but he is the last one.
5: Second. Okay? <laughs> I'm sorry to ask a second question. But I think uh, there's been very little mention of our Aboriginal community. Yeah. And I was at a gathering yesterday, primarily, mostly Aboriginal people, talking about what their plans were, particularly the, um, the uh, Friendship Centre. And I was quite impressed with the fact, it was a, not a big gathering, 60 or so people, and they have got plans Particularly for dealing with uh, the mental problems that we've ha- seen and the problems we had with opioid and drug use, opioid and drug use, and they are got, got definite plans to provide support systems. And we had a meet, uh, an address here some weeks ago about this problem in our community, and that includes everybody, of course. And uh, I felt that. Uh, the uh, the community here is not doing a great job on dealing with the opioid crisis and it's still with us but i think i see hope that the aboriginal people themselves are addressing that issue of course primarily for their own people but they, they will accept anyone so i'd like would wonder if you could just elaborate a little bit on your thoughts on on that area
2: of justice yeah. thank you once again uh, of the local situation, you'd be there are a hundred experts in this room better than me, uh, but let me say that uh, this is obviously a key question for uh, Canadians and for our uh, social cohesion in this country. It's something that we must address. I came on the flight here yesterday reading Tanya Talaga's book. If you haven't seen it, All Our Relations. Her massy lectures that were on CBC which deals with uh, really the issue of uh, suicide among young Aboriginal people and so on and how that's related sometimes to uh, I- issues of addiction and issues of residential schools and legacy and all that kind of thing. These are huge issues. Our churches have worked together on, there are organi- there's, a, there's a meeting of the churches to try and move forward on this. I think the, the key role churches can play is really summed up by uh, Senator, now Senator Murray Sinclair from Manitoba who led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission when he said education got us into this mess, it's education that's gonna get us out of the mess. So it seems to me that we need education in all our school systems and I know that school boards are all uh, totally taking this on. What I think we're struggling with a little bit is more at the congregational level. How do we get involved in this? And how is there an educational program that can be used? A lot of people have done the blanket exercise. Well, what comes next and what goes deeper? In Ottawa, we have a group that's done five different events. The last one had 94 people out at it. We were were planning to do little workshops, three little workshops of 10 or 15 people, and we had to think up something new. It's great to have so many people. Our people are ready for this. I'm not sure our leadership and our, uh, you know, I'm not sure that we've funded the kinds of ideas around what we can do that will actually help move the yardsticks forward on our own education in our congregations and then taking action to go forward. But there's tremendous stuff being done locally all over the place. It's it's more a question of seeing well how how will that then develop, rise to uh, such a place that wouldn't it be lovely and a lovely dream of the future if our children said, you know what? Our communities and our faith communities played a part in it in another chapter that might go to a future book and said, you know, Christians and others in our community were really part of making new relations with Aboriginal people come alive. It's a wonderful dream and a challenge for all of us.
0: Uh, With this... uh We conclude this session and let us thank uh, Joe for coming to us and giving his presentation.